This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, I'm going to talk this morning on self-control. This is something that I've had on my mind for uh, the last several weeks for a a couple of things, some behavior that I've seen in myself and witnessing some behavior of others. It's kind of been on my mind and from a practical sense, you know, is it ever good to be out of control? You know, is that ever a good thing where it was preferable that you were out of control? And certainly it's not. It, it's always good to be in control of ourselves. And a lot of times, probably most of the time when we make mistakes in this life, especially as we go through our Christian life, we're not, if you just take like maybe the last couple of days or this last week of your life and you look back about some of the mistakes you've made, you could have handled these situations better, it probably was not an issue of, you didn't know what was right or wrong. You just simply, in that moment, you didn't behave right. And so that's one thing we're going to look at this morning, those moments where we're tested. What is leading us in those moments? Because outside of that particular moment, when we're sober-minded, we wouldn't behave like that. But when we were tested, we behaved like we shouldn't have behaved. And a couple of things that I've noticed, first of all, myself, and this is why I don't try not to get into politics very much, but I heard a speech you know, recently, probably about a month ago, and it seemed like the guy was saying falsehood after falsehood, and if you're like me, you just can't stand to hear people say lies. And just like, that is so wrong. And just looking at myself, maybe just a rant even to myself, but I was irritated by it. I probably could have handled just my own thoughts better, shouldn't have let it get to me that much. And then secondly, as you know, we spend a lot of time in basketball gyms. There's some others here this morning that do so as well. And you see behavior in that. And this is behavior not from bad people. These are good people, but that get caught up in the emotions of the moment. Say things you see. This is homeschool basketball. And you see behavior from some of the kids, but a lot of times it's the parents screaming at the refs, threatening the refs, even sometimes threatening the kids. And you're like, wow. And again, these are not bad people. Otherwise, outside of that moment, they wouldn't have done that thing, but they lost control. So we're going to consider these things this morning and start with the question, who or what controls me? In general, in my life, what drives me to live the way I do? And in those moments where I'm tempted, what is controlling me? And hopefully the answer would be the Holy Spirit because that's what we should be led by. Our first scripture this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, which says this, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And I have this word temperance highlighted because... At least in the King James Version, you won't find the term self-control, but you find that idea of self-control referenced throughout the Bible, and this word temperance means exactly that. In the Greek, that word is translated from a Greek word meaning self-control, the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions or his sensual appetites. 
and certainly that is a virtue I think that all of us would say we should have. As we consider this topic this morning, it's not a topic where we're going to go, wow, that was a deep, that was a deep subject. I need to go figure out more about that. It's self-control, I think, is very easy to understand. What's hard is actually practicing it. I think that's, that's what we're going to find. As we find in the scriptures, we need ownership of our bodies. And as we'll see in a moment, we're told to possess our vessels. But there's a lot of things in life as that out there that we have no control over. But the one thing we do have control over is ourself, the things we think, the things we say, the things we do. And we should have control over ourselves so that we're doing, saying, and thinking things that God would be pleased with. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. For this is the will of God. So this is what God wants. This is the will of God. Even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication. So this word sanctification can be a tricky word, but basically the idea of sanctification is you take something and you set it aside for a certain purpose. You make it holy. So it's God's will that we should abstain from fornication. He has taken us aside to be someone that does his, his will. In verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. And as we see this in verse 4 there, everyone should know how to possess his vessel. We're not talking about owning a, a kayak. We're <laughs> possessing your vessel Ownership of yourself. And when you think about ownership, when you own something, you have title to it. You can do with it whatever you want. It's yours. And so that idea is being presented here. Own your body. Keep it in sanctification and honor, knowing that God has sanctified you for his service. And we're told not to participate in fornication, but that's probably, the, that's probably as bad as it gets. We have in verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence. That's probably something we've, I've never used that lust of concupiscence in my, my uh, vocabulary. But what it means is lusting after something forbidden. And so we're told we should not be lusting after things that we, we know are wrong. Uh, and that's a characteristic of those that know not God. So that's very Important that we always keep that on our mind. Are we behaving in, are we behaving like somebody that doesn't know God? Not a category we want to be in. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? and you are not of your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So again, God, it's his will that we serve him, that we do what's right, that we don't do something such as like fornication. We're bought with a price, and that price was the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we need to live our life as if we own this body, and I'm not going to use that because... As we read here, the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if we really think about that, wow, that, that shows the importance that we need to have as we go through life, that 
God's own spirit is, is living inside of me. So I don't want to take that and do things such as fornication with that body, which I should be owning and which technically are God's because they are bought with a price. And that price is Jesus' blood. God expects each of us to, to have self-control. And I want to turn to some of the, the uh, qualifications of an elder and deacon. We've been talking about this here, here recently. But to me, it just kind of shows how important self-control, because so many of these qualifications relate to self-control. One in particular that I want to call out, but 1 Timothy chapter 3 I want to look at verses 2 and 3 and then verse 8. It says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. And then in verse 8, Likewise must the deacons be graved, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. So, so many of those things are, can relate in some way to self-control. And just as a side note, I want to echo a thought that was made last Sunday. These things here are in the qualifications of an elder and deacon, but we can't have the notion that these were exempt. If we don't want that office, we're just exempt. These only apply to those men seeking that office. That's, that is not the truth. The truth is these are things that everybody should strive for. It's just that for those offices, those men have to have those things. But many of these things relate to self-control. And I've got highlighted up here, not given to, wine or much wine in those two, two offices. And we go back and think about that image of possessing your vessel or owning yourself. Well, when you give yourself, this is the opposite here. These men in these offices should not be given to wine. And when you give something up, you, you do exactly that. You give it over. You don't have control of it anymore. And that's what alcohol does. When an excess of alcohol is consumed, you, you don't have control anymore. You know, you might hear quotes in the movie like, I don't listen to him, that's just the liquor talking. Or... Oh, man, I don't even know what I did last night. I woke up. I couldn't tell you what I did. Well, that's an extreme example right there. And sadly, it happens all the time of somebody that has anything but possession of their vessel. They've let the alcohol uh, control themselves, not the Holy Spirit. You don't, you're not led by the Spirit when your flesh is out of control. And... In general, and it's not just alcohol, but we're instructed to be sober-minded and we can, get, we can let anything that gets between us and God kind of take the, the will in our life. And uh, in general, man lacks self-control because if you look at the laws of the land, how many of these laws that we have, I don't know, maybe all of them, are to rein in man's lack of self-control, like take the drug laws, for example. Let's say you have an accident or you're in pain. Can you just walk right into the pharmacy and say, hey, pharmacist, I need a bottle of morphine or, oh, man, I'm in pain. I need, to, I need a pain pump for a few days. No, it, those are strictly regulated and you have that type of strong drug that is 
regulated by laws of the land. And can you imagine if there was no laws like that? Let's say speed limits. If we didn't have speed limits, do you think, like if the government just said today, well, we trust everybody, um, everybody will drive a safe speed. Do you think that people are really gonna just self-regulate? And so we have a lot of those laws in the land that are just there just because mankind cannot control himself. And it's true, a lack of self-control is evident in so many aspects around us, the things we see, and something we may hear is like somebody saying, I know I shouldn't do this, or I'm going to regret this, and then they do it anyway, and think, well, maybe that was something you shouldn't have done if you knew you were going to regret it. But again, in that moment, you're tempted to do something against your better judgment, and you do it because you didn't have the discipline to not do it, and you knew that that was not going to be a good thing. Look at debt. People, like so many people are in debt today. A large part of that is lack of self-control, impulse spending. I know I don't have the money for this. I know I shouldn't do it, but I want it, and I'm, I've got the credit available, so I'm going to do it. And so we have, I think, a record number just the... If you look at the figures, it's just unreal how much debt is out there, and people are paying for that because they can't control their spending. And then that, the list goes on and on, but self-control is a good thing, and we can't be, we, we got to be careful that we don't look down upon self-control because a lot of people look at self-control as like, I don't want you to tell me what I'm doing, what, I'm gonna, what I can and can't do. Don't ruin my fun. And like you take a diet, for example, that's something that takes a lot of self-control. If you're on this diet, like let's say you're a, you happen to be at a community center and you're on this diet and you see a dessert table far off, 30 steps away from you, and you're on this diet, what is going to keep you from going over there and partaking in that? It's just your mindset, your discipline. How disciplined are you to just, nobody's going to stop you. And when things get more serious than that, when we get tempted to do things that are really bad, sinful against God, we can we got to have the mindset because so many times nobody's going to step in. Nobody's going to step in and guard us from that. It's just the wisdom we've accumulated. Are we going to put that into practice? Are we going to be self-controlled? And it all goes down to our mindset. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then verses 5 through 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And the Apostle Paul, he goes into this discussion talking about himself, and himself he sees this war that happens between his flesh. His flesh wants to do one thing and his spirit wants to do the other. What wins that battle and what determines who wins? Well, it's just that discipline, that self-control that you're going to have, that you're not going to let that flesh take over in your body. Remember when the apostles fell asleep while Jesus was praying. 
he went out and he told them, the, fle- the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In, those, in that moment, again, outside of that moment, especially as they looked back at that, can you imagine those guys looking back at that when Jesus needed them the most? They fell asleep. I bet there was a lot of regret. They didn't, it wasn't an issue of like what I should and shouldn't do. It was just they gave in to the flesh at that point. They were tired and they fell asleep. But when Jesus needed them the most, they, were, they fell asleep. And so when we look at ourselves, when Jesus Christ needs us the most, what are we doing? Are we asleep? Because remember, Jesus said, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. So when Jesus needs us the most, when our brothers and sisters need us the most, are we asleep? He tells us the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So in our lives, what's winning that battle? Our spirit will win that battle if we just let it, let it, do, it, let it do its thing. We're told quite simply in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19, quench not the spirit. And we have a picture here, this lady's putting out a campfire. And that's kind of what we do when, when we know we're going to make a bad decision or if we're faced with that, like, I might regret this. We're doing, God has given us the Holy Spirit, and it's inside us like a burning fire. And what do we do when we want to sin, when we want to go out and please the flesh? It's like, just putting that safeguard out. And so it, it does us no good at that point. And we're not, le- we're not being led by that spirit that was given to us, but we're putting out, we're extinguishing the fire of the spirit. And we're told point blank, do not do that. Do not quench the spirit. When, we're, when we decide that we're done serving the flesh, then the spirit wins the battle. And self-control is not selfish. Self-control not only keeps us clean and on the right path, but it also impacts others because when we're out of control, chances are we're going to have an impact on somebody else. And this is highlighted in the, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 11, he gives an example of, or he tells us, and it can seem kind of harsh when you, you look at it, uh, but it's so important of a thing that he says not even to, to share a meal with somebody that is out of control. And we'll read here in 1 Corinthians 5 and 11. He says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company, and this is important right here, if any man that is called a brother. So this is not somebody you might work with, uh, somebody you know. This is somebody that's in the church. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one know not to eat don't keep company with even if they're called a brother don't even share a meal with them and wow that seems kind of harsh that you might have to cut somebody off in a sense like that but that's how serious we're talking about because self-control because if you think about these things, they're all a lack of self-control. Somebody that's a fornicator, that's a, an immoral person, greedy, uh, somebody that cheats people out of money, a drunk, that so often influences others. And so this is a stern warning here. You can't 
you can't uh, keep company with them because that's going to spread in the church. We need to avoid anyone and anything that might cause us to lose self-control, you know, because we all have that ability to lose control. And when we're hanging out with the wrong crowd, somebody that might influence us in that way, you know, we're just tempting that or like we're teasing that, that animalistic instinct to come out into sin and we should never put ourselves in that situation. One of the big things, though, is if our friends are bad influences because that's something that's easier said than done. If we have a friend that maybe we've been very close to for a very long time, but they're a bad influence in our life, that is so very hard to, to phase them out of our life because we get attached to those people. But so very often, and I've seen this multiple times, the same friends equal the same sins. You take somebody that knows what is how they should be living, but the attachment to that person just keeps drawing them back in. And it's, again, it's, it's easier said than done to, to do that. But as we read here, even if the person is a brother and they're out of control in these particular things, don't eat with them. Don't have company with them. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The ultimate goal of sin, sin doesn't just come in and, and give you a bruise. Sin is like cancer. It gets in, it wants to take over your body, and it will. As we're told here, don't let it reign in your mortal body. It will sit on the throne of your body and control it if you allow that to happen. It says, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. I think about a musical instrument. Is the devil playing us like a fiddle? Because he very easily can if we're not careful. And when you look at the term yield, I think of a, a traffic sign. Yield, when you come up to that yield sign, you yield the right of way to someone else. And do you yield that, spiritually speaking, do you yield, who are you yielding to? Are you yielding to Satan or are you yielding to God? Are you following after Satan or God? Do not yield your members as, as instruments of unrighteousness. We've looked at some things so far about our mindset. We know our mindset drives the way we act, the things we do, the things we say. And here in ver Philippians verses 4 and 8, we read, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And that is important that we're feeding our mind because our mind is what's controlling us. What we do, what are we feeding that? What, are, what is the nutrition that we're giving it? Is it things that are just pure, lovely, of good report, virtue, 
there be anything of praise or is it garbage? Because if we're just feeding ourselves for intaking garbage, we can't really expect to produce gold from that. But it's these emotions. We can't control our emotions when we're not prepared. If we're living off a, a diet of wickedness, what do we expect when we come to those moments that test us? Romans 16, or Proverbs 16 and 32. This is talking here about anger. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Sometimes anger can be confused with strength. Like if you, maybe if there's a tyrant running the company you work for or somebody you just don't want to deal with, like, man, that, I don't want to mess with that guy. And so it's kind of interpreted as strength. This guy, oh man, you don't want to mess with him. But what we read here in God's eyes, that's not how he sees it. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Anger is not how God defines strength. It takes strength to control your anger, not to get out, not to let, not get out of control. That doesn't take any strength. You know that if you've raised kids. You know, you think about the toddlers, and sometimes they they just are out of like there is nothing that's going to calm that little terror down. They just <laughs> they're on the floor screaming. You just there's nothing. Maybe you just. Sleep it off. You know, that's, that's it. That's the only thing that's going to calm that kid down. And there's no talent in that. But sadly, we see that same type of behavior, maybe not kicking and screaming on the floor. We see that same behavior in adults. Maybe we are even like that sometimes where there's just no, at that point, there's no calming us down. You know, just walk away because there's no talent to be like that. The talent comes where... You rein that in and you don't let that anger get out of control. Ephesians 4 and 26, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So here, we're going to get angry. The Apostle Paul tells us right there, Be ye angry. It's going to happen. But it's about what we do when we are angry. Be angry and sin not. That's, that's what's harder said than done sometimes because people, we hear a lot of things, a lot of times, you, you probably said this, you made me mad. And you may have done something very bad, very hurtful to me, but really you couldn't make me mad. The, the being mad, the anger was how I reacted to that. And... Again, those, those, that's very hard when somebody does something hurtful for us. But as we're told here, be ye angry and sin not. Don't let that anger take the will because literally it will. Like if you drive enough, you're bound to get angry. Just take 540 into Fort Smith every morning. You're bound to get angry. How are you going to handle that? Because... When you think about it, if you let that anger overtake you, it's like you're letting it grab the will and you're not outside of that moment. If you're witnessing yourself, you know that's bad behavior. It's not like lack of knowledge. But in the moment, you can't control that anger. And it's that anger that's behind that will. We have to have our emotions in, in control. And it's not just anger. Uh, you can let 
sadness get out of control. You can become desperate. You can start to question God. Uh, you can be even in times of gladness and celebration. We see like when uh, just typical Friday night is associated with certain things that shouldn't be happening because the work week is over. I'm going to go celebrate. I'm very happy. We see when sports teams win championships, sometimes they'll go burn a city down on celebrations. We see Super Bowl champions out there getting drunk in this parade, acting just terrible. It's all these things that, again, we're handing over ourselves. We don't possess our vessel when, we, when we're like that. And what those things do is we look back upon them with regret. And we want to limit those times where we have to look back on ourselves with regret. Because when we look back at a time when we were just angry and we ripped somebody to shreds, that's not really something we're proud of. And do we really look back at those times and say, man, I'd do that again. I'm so glad I was out of control at that time. Probably not. All those things do, those moments of weakness, they're just, they lead to regret. I don't think that our study this morning could be complete without considering the things we say, our tongue. This is last but certainly not least. Matthew 15 and 18. This is Jesus speaking. He says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. Perhaps the hardest part of our body to control is what's in our mouth. It's so important to have self-control of our words, and it's no surprise that our words, again, they come from our mindset. You know, we've heard a lot of times like, oops, I let that slip. I shouldn't have said that. Well, that's a mistake. Yeah, you shouldn't have said it. But why was that thought even there to begin with? Well, it's because of what was in here. Perhaps our mind is not in the right place because our thoughts are just a, a uh, display of what's inside. James 3 and 2, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. You know, it sinks a lot. Or it takes a lot to sink to things like fornication, but that's not true with our words. In a split second, just think about what saying the wrong thing can do. It can ruin a relationship. It can start a fight, start a war. You know, it can taint someone's image if you speak lies about somebody. People are wrongly influenced, especially when we get to teaching somebody wrong. There's just so much damage we can do with our tongue. And that's not hard to understand because we're saying so many things every day. And when you get a volume of things, there's going to be more likely to have air. But how many of the things we, we say are beneficial? One verse, one translation of this verse has it stated like this. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So the highest level of self-control is keeping our tongue under control. Ephesians 4 and 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And I've heard studies on this, the corrupt communication. So often we think that that's just foul language. You know, certain words that we 
wouldn't want to use. But corrupt communication, really, when you really consider that, there's a lot of things that we say that may not be curse words that are very corrupt. We should not be saying anything bad, ideally. Our words should be edifying, which build people up and minister grace to the hearers. When I badmouth someone, complain, say negative things, who is that building up? Who gets the benefit when I say something corrupt? I guess Satan does, but nobody else is benefiting by anything bad that comes out of my mouth. Maybe I'm touting my ego or something, but there's no good, no true good that comes out from corrupt communication. And so, again, that is the, the ultimate control. If you have control of the things you say, you are, uh, you've got it together. And there's a whole host of sins. You know, take fornication, theft, murder. Hopefully, we're probably not guilty of that. Like if, I, if we were this morning confessing our faults to one another, we wouldn't expect in that circle to be like, oh, I, I murdered three people this week, and I, I stole this, and I did this. You know, we don't really have a problem with that. But who in this room can honestly say, even in this last week, I have not said anything wrong. I haven't said anything corrupt. In my entire life, I have never said anything I regret. I mean, nobody can say that, and that, that's what we're told here in, in, in these scriptures. James chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. So if there's, if there's ever something where... We might think we couldn't, we've got it all figured out. We couldn't possibly do better. This is one where we're wrong about that. We need to constantly be keeping our tongue under control. The damage that it can do. We hear these stories, you know, we're told here of these animals that are tamed. And I, I think of these stories, you see them kind of frequently, where somebody has this wild animal that they've tamed. Maybe they've lived with it for years and it turns on them. It, that animal instinct comes out and turns on them, and they may die because of that. Well, we're told that the tongue, it is in its, it's in a league of its own. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And as I visualize this, this is the animal that came to mind, a spitting cobra. And you might even cringe at that picture, but... Let's say for some reason you were required to have this spitting cobra in your house and you had to take care of it. I can about assure you that you're going to be throughout the day making sure that thing is caged up. I mean, you're going to, because if that gets out, I mean, this thing spits venom out, blinds its, its victim. And it's like, I think they say it's like 100% accurate at a feat of like, at like two feet or so, it's, it's like that. And if you had that in your house, you're gonna keep that guarded with all you got. You're, but we have the spitting cobra in our mouth, right, right there, or in our house, right there in our mouth. When we don't guard this tongue, we do all kinds of damage. And we need to have maybe that level of care. 
I've got to keep this thing in check because if it gets loose, there's no telling what it's going to say or the damage it's going to do. Somebody is going to get hurt when my tongue gets out of control. Lack of self-control, it often ends in regret. And again, it's in those moments that we do things that we can never, perhaps never take back. And what is, what is controlling us in our life? What are we feeding ourselves? Are we really being led by the Holy Spirit so that we're, when we're tested, that our instinct is not to, to spit out venom, but our instinct is to give grace to the hearers. So who controls us this morning? That's where I'll conclude the study this morning. If you're, maybe you're at a low point in your life and maybe you need help in the prayers of the church, we stand ready to assist you. If you've not been baptized and would like to do so, so if you understand it, just remember that we're not guaranteed another moment of life. And we'd be glad uh, to help you if you be in either case while we stand and sing, please come forward and have a seat on the front row. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.